I am vengeance. I am the night. I am also a podcast. I am a podcast. 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 Oh! It's a show. It's a show. Audio only, though. What is it about? If you have time, I can tell you that it is a podcast about that many Batman podcasts. Uh, what did you want me to say in this part? It's a show! Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I am a podcast. Whoa! Hey! with fans and people, people who Welcome to Batman the Animated Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Michael, and you're listening to an audio variety show for your ears based on the legendary 1990s cartoon, Batman the Animated Series. Today's sponsor, injecting green liquid into your body. It's not bad for you, and it's certainly better than exercise. Guys, I've got a real treat for your ears this time. It's an interview with Batman writer Mitch Bryan. He wrote the series pilot on Leather Wings with the Man Bat, co-wrote the series Bible, and came back to write one more episode down the line. Which one do you ask? Today's episode, Bane. A mysterious hulking figure arrives in Gotham City with one goal in mind, to eliminate Batman for crime boss Rupert Thorne. But not before he puts Killer Croc in the hospital, sends the Batmobile to the scrapyard, and kidnaps Robin. It's up to Batman to take down the backbreaker himself in a climactic final battle that pits the bat against the venom-infused Bane. Original air date, September 10th, 1994. Back in the day, this was the third season premiere. Written by Mitch Bryan, directed by Kevin Altieri, music by Lolita Ritmanis, and animation by Dong Yang. Starring Kevin Conroy as Batman, Lauren Lester as Robin, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. as Alfred, Aaron Kincaid as Killer Croc, what a voice, Joe Lala as Dickie the Thug, Diane Mitchell as Candace, Henry Silva as Bane, and John Vernon as Rupert Thorne. Today's guest, Mitch Bryan. I'm Skyping in with Mitch Bryan. He's a screenwriter and professor of film studies at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. One of the writers from Batman the Animated Series, as well as uh, you're listed as co-creator developed the Bible uh, for the show on IMDb. That is correct, sir. What a cool thing to be in there from the beginning. Yeah, it was really great. It was a wonderful experience. And um, I was friends with Bruce Tim. We went way back we'd been friends for several years and had worked on some scripts together and um, he called me one day and said that he had gotten the authorization to do a sort of teaser reel to try and show what it would be like and he had done that and I remember seeing that when it was when it was first finished and they liked it and so uh, coming on the heels of the 1989 Tim Burton Batman we were able to create a series that you know, had certain obligations to the aesthetic of the Tim Burton film, but also allowed us to do a, a kind of, you know, 30s, 40s kind of feel. Um, the Fleischer cartoons were important. The Superman cartoons were an important point of reference. Um, and, you know, just pulp novels. Bruce and I were both big Doc Savage fans, in addition to being obviously Batman fans. And uh, it was just a great experience to be able to sit in there and just talk through 
what we wanted the show to be. And then I would go away and I would write those pages in the Bible. A lot of that stuff is mine. And, and Paul Dini wrote a bunch of stuff in there as well. And he was, it was Bruce and Paul and, and me that were all kind of having these conversations. Um, but yeah, I was the one taking the first crack at the, at the, at the show Bible. So that was pretty great. Yeah, I believe it's available online at this point. Most people can can download at least a version of it that I've seen, which is pretty rare, pretty cool that you can actually get access to that. Well, and it grew, too, because then once the text was done, then the drawings started to happen, and then character animation design and then background stuff that um, Ted Blackman did. And, yeah, it just kind of grew. So the, the, the document that you get now that you would find online is longer than the initial thing that we turned in because it, it, it just kept becoming this, you know, organic thing. Well, take me back a little bit. So you, you said that you knew Bruce ahead of time, but when did you guys actually meet? I met Bruce in 1982, I think, or early night. Yeah. 1982. Um, we had a mutual friend that I was, uh, going to college with and he introduced me to Bruce and at a party and we hit it off. We started talking about movies and, before you know it, we became really good friends and spent a lot of time sitting around writing movies and watching movies and uh, watching animated films. And it was great. It was really, I learned so much from him and he's such an extraordinary talent, just this amazing natural talent. I mean, the guy can draw anything and he can draw it quickly and he's got this extraordinary style. And so he was I was making some films at the time, and he did storyboards for me, which was pretty spectacular. <laughs> I mean, his storyboards were better than the movies that I made. Ah, oh, what a cool thing. Uh, were, you, were you living in Los Angeles at the time? I was. I was going to school at Cal State Northridge. I was there basically from 1980 to 1992. I actually left the day of the riots, coincidentally. Moved away for thinking I was going to move away for a year or two and then move back because I was just kind of tired of LA and we had had a kid and and then I um, met a guy here in Kansas uh, named Kevin Wilmot and he and I began writing movies together and they we sold a bunch of movies and so I was kind of able to stay in Kansas and just kind of go back and forth to Los Angeles um, and that was pretty that's yeah it's been really nice that's kind of the dream uh, is to get that kind of work but also live where you want to live. But certainly I was still in L.A. at the time when we started working on Batman because I was going into the office every day and back and forth. And so, you know, I had to be there. And that's the thing about about um, screenwriting is I was able to leave, but I had been there for a long time when I finally did move away. And I had enough contacts and had sold some stuff and and, and made that made that move and then just fortunately met somebody who lives out in this part of the country, who wanted to stay in this part of the country, and so we were, we were working together from here. That's so cool. When In the beginning, when you guys were developing the series, uh, what was that room like? How many people were there? What was the kind of vibe of how you batted around ideas? My recollection, and it's been a long time, is that it was just Bruce and me and Paul, and that was it, really, at the very beginning. And... Um, yeah, we were just sort of talking about what we wanted the show to look like and how we wanted to build the structures of the episodes, and we wanted to make it really cinematic. Um, there are a bunch of episode springboards that I think, I don't know if they're in that Bible or not, but I went off, I know, and wrote a bunch of like little, you know, five-sentence descriptions of different episodes, and then they would do that as well. They would come up with, with them in the room, and then I'd make notes, and I'd go, and I'd, I'd 
write all of those down as well so that when the Bible would be presented uh, to whoever, they would see that we had enough ideas that we were going to, this thing was going to run for a while. And, and then, you know, we had, there were characters that we were interested in from the, you know, what, what they call now the DC universe, uh, but were just characters from comic books over the years. And so I know that uh, I remember Bruce wanting to do something with, with Raja Ghul, and I wanted to obviously to do something with the Man Bat. Uh, and we wanted to have an element of the fantastic that we talked about a lot, um, which which comes from Doc Savage, I think, our, our our love of Doc Savage, you know, because that always had this really wonderful element of the fantastic as well. So we wanted to try to find a way to ground these stories, you know, with him being the world's greatest detective and have, um, you know, strong plots, but not be restricted when it came to being able to go off and do something that's a little bit more you know, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems pretty cool that, like, the first episode out the gate is a world full of gangsters, but also kind of Frankenstein's monster, yeah. you know, yeah. body horror. Exactly. Giant exactly. bat. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't um, it wasn't magic. It wasn't supernatural. It was still a potion, right? It was still a formula, so it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, so that was, I'm trying to think, I don't know that there were any episodes that were overtly supernatural, right? Can you think of any? Not until later when they kind of redesigned stuff. They they kind of deliberately brought in some magic, but that was, you know, in that new Batman Adventures years. So Right, right. So I guess we, we kind of decided that it was, it was going to be fantastic. It would probably have some kind of grounding in, in science. So when it came to picking characters and kind of pitching early stories, do you remember any any episodes that you pitched that you know just didn't make the cut you know i i don't i mean i remember i wrote one episode that was that towards the end that was um not particularly good (laughs) and (laughs) and it was at the time when um you know the series went through this weird dip in the middle where um somebody there were some new people came in and there was some tension in my my recollection there was some tension about like trying to they want they some people came in from kids animation and they wanted to make it more of a kids show and like have like a lesson in every episode and there was a lot of tension um and i was working freelance at the time so uh i could be fired without being fired <laughs> i mean i was just sort of like i think where i was headed with it was you know where i what i wanted it to be was probably even more extreme than than, than then probably was plausible, uh, was realistic. Um, but I know that I kind of went away for a while, and then some of those people came and went, and then Bruce asked me to come back and do the Bane episode. But somewhere in there, either before, right before I left or after, I wrote one episode that wasn't particularly good and probably didn't put me in very good stead with anybody. <laughs> and I looked at it the other day, and I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of... I kind of uh, didn't quite hit it out of the park with that one. Well, what was the episode? It was about. It took place in the in um, Stonegate Prison, and um, Batman kind of gets himself thrown into into prison, thinking that he's gonna solve this crime. And then what he doesn't realize is he's sort of been baited into the situation, and everybody in the prison wants to get him. And so it just becomes like this, you know, Batman as pinball being bounced around from one one villain after another as he's trying to make his way out of the prison. It sounds pretty fun to me. I, it sounds pretty fun to me, too. And then I looked at it, and I didn't exactly deliver the goods on that one. <laughs> uh, well, 
why don't we dive into, I guess, starting with On Leather Wings, which was the pilot episode. Yeah, and it was kind of, I think, as you were saying, you know, it, it has a lot of the elements that we thought were really important as a clear shot across the bow to kind of say, this is what our Batman is going to be. So we had Zeppelins, for example. You know, we had, there's a there's a lot of hardware in that episode. Um we had this element of the fantastic with with the man bat. We had um, we did some adult things that I don't know that anybody had seen before. We have a couple of characters uh, making out in the in the hallway of the lab, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was again kind of a way for us to try to announce what we wanted it to be. Batman bleeds, and I that did not go over well. And I understand that the word came back that Batman will never bleed again. So um, I think that's the only episode where you see any blood on Batman. Uh, but but again, that kind of hard-boiled thing that we were going after with elements of the fantastic, um, visual storytelling. Um, we were interested in starting out with Batman being at odds with the authorities, you know, as he tries to figure out. And, th- and that, I think, a lot of that comes from the fact that we really did like Batman Year One. Uh, there was a lot of stuff in that that I think was um, influential. I, I think there's a SWAT team encounter Mm-hmm. Uh, that we were really interested in the SWAT team going after Batman, so we did uh, a very direct tip of the hat, you know, w- with with our SWAT team attack on on Batman. It, that was kind of that was kind of our thinking: is this let's make this episode something that really tells everybody what our Batman is going to be like. Yeah, it really. I mean, it's a very gripping, different episode of any sort of animation, especially at the time. Uh, I like that you. I don't know, using the phrase you announced yourself uh, feels real fitting. Did you feel like there was any sort of pressure since it was the first episode at the gate and this was going to kind of define the tone, kind of set the standard for the rest of the show when you were writing? What, what did you have in mind? I didn't feel pressure because we really thought we knew what this was should be, you know? I mean, there was a lot of conviction. We really, and we felt pretty secure because I don't know how people perceive the 1989 Batman now but it had this film noir quality to it you know I mean the big cop who looked like Orson Welles out of touch of evil I mean there were visual touchstones in that in that film that we felt were making a pretty direct line to what we wanted to do Um, it certainly helped that Shirley Walker's music was part of our show so there's another direct connection to you know the 1989 Batman the Batmobile looks kind of similar and that was intentional they definitely wanted certain things to be you know part and parcel of that movie so I don't know I think we felt like we just kind of wanted to do a a kind of version of that sort of movie on a animated 30 minute scale and we had a very clear uh, idea about the spectacle of the show we wanted to have set pieces very cinematic you know, Hitchcock kind of set pieces. And at that time, again, pre-CGI, we wanted to do stuff that you couldn't even see in a movie. So, for example, that sequence in On Leather Wings where Batman's hanging on to, uh, you know, the cable and is being dragged by the man bat through the building that's being constructed. Mm -hmm. 
There's no way anybody could have done that in the movies in 1989. No, I mean, you'd need like a digital camera at this point, you know, or at least like the CG camera that we now right. see kind of overused in movies now. Cause right, we I mean, can. You, can totally, <laughs> you can totally do that now, but at the time you couldn't. And so what we were thinking is, well, let's do stuff in our show that you're not going to see anywhere else. So who were we making that show for? We were making it for people like us. We were making it for people, you know, in their... In their 20s and 30s, we weren't making a kid's show. And we we would think back to, like, Johnny Quest, which, yeah, it was a kid's show because you had Bandit and everything. But, but if you look at Johnny Quest, it's, um, you know, it's naive racism aside. What you see is something that was trying to be kind of like a James Bond film, you know? And so that was definitely part of what we were thinking about the Fleischer cartoons aren't made for kids so those were definitely the Superman cartoons were definitely on our mind um, and then all these great you know crime pictures that we really loved so all that stuff plus Bruce's exhaustive knowledge of Batman and he knew way more about Batman than I did because I mean I'd read some Batman comics um, and Batman was about the only DC character that I followed. I was a Marvel person. So, um, you know, that was really fun as well because I learned a lot about Batman. There are a lot of stories that I had never read before, that a lot of characters I'd never encountered before, and Bruce brought all of that to the table. I mean, you know, I was I was just following along, man. It was it was Bruce's vision in the end that, that, that was driving this thing. Were there any stories that you read uh, while kind of prepping for this or, or, you know, kind of because Bruce was so enthusiastic about it that stuck with you? Well, there's a story that connects with Bane in that in those terms, um, which is that in the comic right before the time that we went that I wrote the Bane script, you know, Bane had broken Batman's bat in the books. Right. So he smashed him over his leg and broken his back. And neither Bruce nor I was particularly enamored of that idea we thought it was pretty stupid so um our bane episode is a direct reaction against that in fact you even see at one point bane lifts batman up as if he was going to smash him but it doesn't work out so um we were sort of taking issue with bane which is why he comes off as a sort of glorified mexican wrestler in our episode yeah i mean let's dig into it bane is it's a much later episode so i guess you would kind of like dipped out for a bit and then come back yeah that's right yeah and robin was back like so robin was there so i had not written a robin show before because when we started out um robin was not in the game plan at all and that that was something that came in later and we were fortunate we felt like well you know we're kind of lucky because there was no robin in the Tim Burton Batman movie, right? Yeah. So we were able to go, good. <laughs> you know, we can we can use that as a justification to not have to mess around with Robin. But eventually it came through the, the sort of the natural evolution of the character and what you'd expect to see up. And, you know, you do eventually expect to see Robin and you expect to see Batgirl and you expect to see all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I'd sort of dipped out. I came back. I got to write an episode with Robin. And, um, yeah, and this Bane episode was a kind of reaction to what was happening in the comics. And that's really also really fun like the the fact that we could be having conversations with you know alternate realities in the dc universe that's pretty cool that's a very exciting idea you know they used to think about movies in the old days movies would have conversations with each other right i mean uh, uh 
High Noon gets made, and what does Howard Hawks say? He says, that guy's not a professional going around asking for help, and Howard Hawks makes Rio Bravo. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly you have these two movies in conversation with each other. Yeah, and I think especially at that time, too. I mean, you know, superhero stuff wasn't hadn't burst as huge as it is now. So uh, it was a big moment. I remember the Bane comics when he was introduced. It was like, you know, it was a kind of event reading. Well, no, I mean, it, it is it is what it is, right? And And, and everybody's free to... To, to, to take issue with it or to love it. And so we, we took issue with it, which was fun. And you got and you got to have Henry Silva do the voice of Bane. Like, who? What, what better thing could you possibly have than that? So that was awesome. What I love about Henry Silva's performance is it's, it's kind of measured, too. He's, he's kind of quiet uh, for yeah. a lot of that. I mean, until he starts screaming towards the end of the episode more and more, and he's pumped up with Venom and stuff. But I, I think he really, you know, th there's a version of that performance that could just be total heavy all the way kind of pushed into a cartoonish territory but i like how i don't know menacing and quiet he is yeah i totally agree it's really it's great it's, it was uh, you know that's the other thing about that show is that you know the the andrea romano's voice stuff voice directions and it's the voices that populate that series extraordinary actors you know just amazing amazing talent so let me ask you this. If this episode, Your Bane, was kind of a reaction to how you guys felt about the comic, w what did you feel about the comic? What did you feel like you wanted to kind of do differently? Well, it really just came down to breaking Batman's back. You know, that that was just kind of like, really? I mean, I don't know. There, there was there was no real enthusiasm for that <laughs> on, on, on my end or Bruce's end, as, as I remember the situation. So did you pitch the story or was it brought to you? Uh, you know, I think, no, I think it was brought to me. I think Bruce said, let's do something with Bane because the Batman back is breaking thing. And I thought, yeah, and I think Bruce said, you know, we'll really play up the Mexican wrestler idea. And so I ran with that and, you know, they have that fight on board the deck of the ship and they're kind of bouncing off of the railings as if you'd bounce off of the, the you know, the, the rubber ring in a, in a wrestling match and, we have lots of wrestling moves. <laughs> we were having a pretty good time with it. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I, I feel like the build of the script, too. I mean, you, you actually sent me a copy of the script with some notes, and I don't know how far into you know production you were if it got revised again, but I noticed that there, you know, there was some stuff that's cut out, which is pretty normal. But also, I really enjoyed reading the way that you colored the description and I think people who watch the show might never get a chance to see that sort of thing uh, but it's it's pretty specific I mean shots are laid out very specifically it almost feels like it's being boarded with words well that's really nice of you to say thank you uh, I always knew that um, in both it and and Kevin Altieri is going to make anything I do 10 times better <laughs> he's great I mean? he's so good and so that was always wonderful to sort to because, you know, I write it, it goes away, they make it, then I get to see it, and, and you know, I'm always like, oh, my God, that's so much better than what I thought it was going to be like, you know? Um, and that doesn't always happen uh, as a screenwriter. So I feel so lucky to have had him direct both on Leather Wings and, and Bane. And, you know, and, and Bruce there all the way through that process, too, always coming up with better ideas than the ones I had. And both episodes are beautiful. Uh, like the animation happens to be some of the best animation in the series for both of them. Uh, you know, I feel like it's luck of the draw, sort of, with some of the animation studios. And this one, Bane is 
beautiful as is the pilot but uh i wanted to talk a little bit about i mean maybe just read an excerpt from your description since people never get to see this but you have like overhead shot arkham hallway light bleeds up the hallway as a door opens batman's shadow long and menacing oozes up the hall as he enters the locked ward the crowd goes wild and i think just your visual description i think gives a board artist a lot to work with uh there's a mood to it there's a texture to it so i think that's really cool well thanks yeah. Uh, we, we took it seriously, you know? And the rest of this podcast will be me reading your script out loud <laughs> to you uh, and you just sitting there saying thank you every few minutes. <laughs> I, I was really lucky to get to do Killer Croc as well because that was, um, they gave me some, I had some some latitude in the beginning about how to get into the into the episode. And uh, that was one of the, he was one of the guys I wanted to write. So I was, I got a double whammy you know i got to write bane and i got to put killer croc in the episode so that was pretty good yeah i wanted to talk about that because that's my favorite scene or, or the croc stuff is some of my favorite stuff in the episode especially that scene of batman essentially torturing croc <laughs> yeah. uh which yeah. it feels pretty cruel and then i looked into your script and the description is batman leans over croc with a cruel smile uh and and it, we do see a a batman who's willing to sort of cross some boundaries to get what he wants uh which you know it, it was a nice little piece of character that you don't see in all the episodes we i always felt like he was the kind of guy that would hang somebody over a roof he's not going to drop him but he's right. going to hang him over the roof yeah i mean also just croc with a tommy gun and in a you know trench coat and hat just makes me happy in a very gut <laughs> yeah <laughs> a pulpy sort of gut fanboy way <laughs> did i wonder did i did kevin nolan do design stuff on that killer croc he did he oh, i thought so he was the i think croc is probably closest to his designs yeah because i know he I did some development work and he, he sent a lot of designs in and when we talk on on the podcast we actually ended up talking about croc because i think croc is probably the most influential of all the designs that he did but he worked on the man bat too yeah man bat looks great too yeah that was i mean you know that's just um that's just he was you know he's friends with of our, of our of our family and friends of the family his his wife and my mom are friends and so it was just a an interesting circuitous thing and he met bruce smith who was a friend of mine who i think is who there was a connection there with him and Bruce Tim because Bruce Tim had been in Hutchinson where I grew up visiting for Christmas. And so it's just weird how this these things all all kind of connect in this weird way. Oh, that's wild. What is the process? I guess walking people who, who don't work in animation or writing uh, through the process, how do things start once you get the idea? Uh, how many drafts do you go through? What do you, what was the process? Um, generally the, the way it would work was I would do a treatment, you know, or an, a very, a detailed beat sheet that would sort of describe what each one of the scenes was going to be. And then that would, I would hand that in and then that would come back with notes. And then I would do a first draft and then I would hand that in and that would come back with notes. And then I would do a second draft. And that's usually where it stopped. At that point, uh, it would then leave my hands and go into the hands of the designers and the storyboard people. Yeah. And so did you get to see the episodes beforehand or was it like when they aired was the first time you saw a final? Episode? Yeah, that was it. Yeah. I wouldn't, I, I had nothing to do with any, any aspect of, of, of production or seeing anything. And once I handed the script over, I really enjoy that you worked with like Rupert Thorne and those kind of gangster characters into it. It makes the world feel lived in. Was that your choice to use the characters or was Definitely. it? Definitely. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think that I was always interested in, you know, the criminal networks that exist in Gotham and all that stuff, for sure. That's, And I suppose some of that maybe goes back to Batman Year One and the Falcon or Falcone as he is as he becomes in in Batman um Batman Begins but yeah the fact that there was a thriving criminal network that existed in Gotham uh, that wasn't just relegated to supervillains but you know good old fashioned hard-nosed hard-knuckled criminals yeah well and it's probably cool you know you being pulled in for a later episode Again, you're the person who developed the series, so I imagine you had kind of a greater breadth of knowledge of what you wanted to work with in the first place. Well, I think it there was a little while in there where I think it did get a little soft. And um, so, yeah, I was probably raring to go when I came back and wanted to do another crime crime episode. Well, were there any final thoughts on Bane itself, the episode, or, or your, your process? Not that I can think of. But it was, you know, it was just a joy to do. It was, it was so much fun. It was so much fun to write it, and and it turned out, it turned out beautifully. And it's, and when Bane, you know, over pumps himself up, it's, it's pretty terrifying. Oh <laughs> yeah, know? it's pretty grotesque for a kid. I mean, like I the background love. goes red, and it's very expressionistic. But yeah, his yeah. eyes are bulging out of his face, and he's screaming, and it's, it's pretty, it's very intense. Yeah, uh, I mean, even Killer Croc being beaten up in the sewers, uh, the way that it was. Written and the way that it was boarded, it was just beautiful how it came out too. Uh, you know that him kind of his lifeless body kind of floating into frame is is pretty intense. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's 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 film noir, right? In its own weird way. Bane seems like a credible threat. I was surprised that so much was crammed into a twenty-two minute episode. I know, I know. It's really when when the show is at its best, those episodes just roar by because that's not very much time. And it's a tricky balance to not overstuff it and then not, you know, understuff it. But that's like and and like I love the the two part um, Clayface episode. Yeah. And that thing just roars by and it's you know, and it's two parts, but it still goes. There's so much packed into it, you know, and it's just every shot is beautiful. And, you know, it's exactly the way that uh, animation should be that kind of thought and precision uh, is what makes it so special. I agree, and that's not a surprise because I host a podcast where I talk about this all the time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, listen, but prior to Batman, there was some pretty shitty animation. Oh, can we curse? Oh, yeah. Will Go you, for will it. You, bleep, you can bleep that. Um, there, but, yeah, there was. it wasn't great. There was some really sloppy, junky stuff that was happening because these animated stuff has been had been relegated to the kids corner and um you know there were certain exceptions here and there i mean you know tiny tunes and stuff that were funny and and but as far as like anything straight serious for kids what do you got he-man i mean i don't know what you i don't know what you even have there was nothing and so this was a really bold move and 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 when and it need it was needed like we we were all craving something that we could watch that would be exciting that was animated and um it was really the tip of the spear i think in terms of what happened with animation after batman i really think that there's a case to be made that td animation has a before batman and an after batman 
I mean, I'd agree. It broke open at least what you could do with a cartoon and what kind of audience would tune in for something that was for kids, uh, supposedly. And I mean, I, th- I think like, you know, over the years, it's kind of been tamped down again. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there are certain shows that kind of like push through and, and get to squeeze in more kind of adult emotional themes. But I don't think we're going to see a show with, you know, a bunch of Tommy guns or people being thrown off roofs all the time. It's it's funny how it found this audience. And I was having dinner one night um, with my father-in-law and this waiter, the guy that was waiting on us, um, comes over to the table and he's like, are you Mitch Bryan? Do you, you teach at UMKC? And I was like, yeah. And he said, you know, I just, I just love Batman, the animated series. I just want you to know that, you know, my roommates and I, we got high every afternoon and watched that show. <laughs> and I'm sitting there with my father-in-law. <laughs> you know, he almost does a spit take. It was good. It was like, yeah. So it was obviously finding an audience of all ages. So that's exciting. Oh, absolutely. And, and I probably have, I don't know, um, but I, you know, for a long time, the fact that I worked on that series gave me no cred in this in the room for a story conference or anything like that you know in in, in hollywood um but now all these years later i actually can get a little bit of respect you know from from that the fact that i worked on that show um because it took a while like when it first came out yeah people liked it but um it's taken you know all these years for people that sort of can now say i grew up on that show that show really meant a lot to me it was you know it changed the way that i thought about cartoons um at the time, it was still, the audiences loved it, but I'm not sure anybody in the industry, I don't know what their thoughts were about it. I mean, luckily, it seems like that's turned around completely. Yeah. It's, it's a revered kind of golden goose of a show. Yeah, and look what happened, you know, just with the whole, with comic book characters in film as a phenomenon. I mean, it really, it's it really, again, you know, you can probably point to 89 Batman, and then that's kind of where things started to shift. I mm-hmm. mean, that... That movie, you know, was the kind of the the pinnacle of the blockbuster that everybody had been striving for all through the 1980s, you know, from they were all trying to find the formula. And that 89 Batman was kind of the thing that it had everything, you know, I mean, it had it had a logo that you could instantly recognize. It had big movie stars in it. It had you know, tie-ins from Burger King and everywhere else. It had merchandising with toys. It had prints, you know, you know, it's, it was, it was everywhere. And it was like a huge, huge hit. And it cost a lot of money to make too. And so that's of course part of the formula too, is you're going to spend a bunch of money to make a bunch of money. And it was, you know, it, it really, it really kicked in a lot of doors in terms of what the blockbuster was going to be. And we were lucky enough to be able to benefit from that in a way well i wanted to touch upon you you mentioned that you're a professor uh in your anecdote and you're you're professor of film studies and you you've told me at least off mic that you have an adaptation class that you teach yeah yeah there's an adaptation course that i teach and one of that we do is we do a small batman unit where we look at the bible uh for the series and we look at on leather wings and we read batman year one and we watch batman begins um, because there, what I think is interesting about Batman Begins is that it clearly also was inspired by uh, Batman Year One. I mean, there are there are things that that they share, you know. 
and that and as we were inspired in our own way from Batman Year One. So it's just kind of cool to see how those all those elements kind of you know converge, and uh, and it's a it's a good way to teach the idea of adaptation about how you can. There are some things that are kind of directly lifted from Batman Year One. There are some things that are um, kind of substituted. Uh, this, the idea is there, but it's kind of rendered in a different way. Uh, and and it's um, yeah, it's really cool. It's a it's a fun way to look at popular culture. I mean, that seems like my dream class. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good class, you know. We do that, and we do we look at uh, we read Casino Royale, and we watch the the Daniel Craig version of that. And so, yeah, it's fun. It's a good class. I will tell you that I did get into film school based off of an essay that I wrote about Batman the Animated Series. <laughs> no, no kidding, really. Yeah, I, wow. I, I was. They, you know, they wanted me to write about something. You have to write about something influential and why you want to get into film. And I, you know, wrote a short paper about that, and then you know that amongst good. other things got me in. But thank you for making good the show. For you, that's fantastic. I love that. Makes me really happy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it was inspiring so it made me want to do what i want to do for sure well i'm super proud to have been just lucky enough to to be involved with it you know i mean i knew bruce if i didn't know bruce i wouldn't have been involved with it so i was i was really fortunate um to have been you know allowed to come along on that ride and participate in that process thank you so much for chatting about this was there anything else you wanted to to say uh nothing that i can think of but i really appreciate you asking me to come and talk about it it's um it's super important to me in my life you know it's it's i'm super proud of it it's a, been a true treat talking to you is there anything you wanted to promote or share a new play called uh dracula a song of love and death and i hope it's going to be published soon so that's exciting all right, keep an eye out for that. All right, see you around. And that was Mitch Bryan. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Tell a friend. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at BTAS Podcast and me at Hey Justin. Batman the Animated Podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Justin Michael, from the confines of my closet. Tom Smith created the show logo, and Casey Trela helped produce the theme song. Harry Chaskin, as always, is the booming voice of this podcast. Thanks again to my guest, Mitch Bryan, for making time to talk about Bane and all things Batman. It was such a treat to talk to him. And, of course, a begrudging thank you to this American Life producer and my estranged friend, Tori Malatia, who was spurned after I turned him down for a date last episode and has been showing up drunk outside my place screaming, You've got nothing! Beg for mercy! Scream my name! None! Stop. Tori, I don't want to get a restraining order, but I will if I have to. So seriously, stop it. Okay, well, uh, on that note, see you in two more weeks for another new episode.